we've got good leadership in that locker room. We've got experienced players. And, and you know, I said to him after the game, I said, look, this, this is a tough loss. Um, you know, they never taste well. This one will go down. But the key for us is, is to get rested and, and get ready for, you know, these, these final three weeks, really, really starting with this week versus New England. Um, you know, you can't lose that game twice. You lost it once. And, uh, and we all did collectively. You know, we all uh, could have been better, and, and, and we weren't. And so let's move forward. I, I think I think the, the leadership and the experience in, in this locker room uh, we've leaned on and we'll lean on again, and I think it'll serve us well. Hello, everybody. Welcome into a fresh edition of the Not Another Bucking Podcast. I'm Nick Cosmite, your host, Broncos Beat Reporter, at The Athletic. Have a great guest today, my colleague at The Athletic, Larry Holder, who covered Sean Payton's entire career as the head coach in New Orleans, um, both for The Athletic and at the New Orleans Times-Picayune. Um, he's got great insight and great context um, you know, into Sean Payton as a head coach, and I'm um, going to get his reaction to um, you know, the story that dominated you know, the, the weekend, really, um, and even early part of this week, was Sean Payton's flare up with Russell Wilson on the sidelines there in Detroit during Denver's 42 to 17 loss. So we'll talk to Larry about that. Um, you know, kind of dig a little bit further into the numbers uh, about Russell Wilson talking about the, the decision that Broncos will have ahead of them in terms of, um, you know, his future with the team and, and where they go at quarterback. So, so a great conversation um, before we get to that, just a couple of housekeeping items. Um, the Broncos at seven and seven right now on the outside, looking in of the playoff picture the New York Times uh, postseason simulator, simulator gives Denver right now just a 21% chance to make the playoffs. Now, if the Broncos win their final three games against the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Raiders, all teams right now with losing records, then that percentage chance for the Broncos to make the playoffs goes all the way up to 80%. Uh, winning three games in a row to end a season is not easy regardless of the opponent. The Broncos have not done so since Peyton Manning's first season in 2012 when they won 11 games in a row to end the season and then lost in the divisional round to the Ravens. Um, Sean Payton, in his 15 seasons as a head coach in New Orleans, uh, twice won the final three games of the year. Now, both teams have had some times where you didn't need to win maybe your last game and you were playing, um, you know, you, you were playing bench player, you're playing reserves, you're resting starters. Um, so, so that context is required there. But the bottom line is that Winning three games in a row in the NFL um, is not an easy task, and that and that's why the the chances that that um, you know kind of the the odds the statistical models give the Broncos is is about one in five. Um, you know that that that's what happened after that loss, and not just the loss to the Lions, but then virtually every team in that mix for for the AFC wildcard spots this past weekend won. You know the the Bengals won, the Colts won, the Texans had had an incredible comeback um, without. CJ Stroud, the Browns, the Browns won, the Bills beat the Cowboys. So it wasn't just that Denver lost, uh, it, it went about as bad as it could have gone in terms of the help uh, and not getting it. So, uh, but, but the picture is clear for the Broncos. They win three and they have a pretty good chance of getting in the playoffs, do anything less than that. And they almost certainly will not be uh, in that field. Um, so, so it's going to be, it starts with this new England game. The Broncos are about six and a half point favorites. Um, going into this game on Christmas Eve, um, they should be real, relatively healthy. 
uh, in this game. We'll see. We should get a, a better idea here today on Wednesday as to whether somebody like Nick Benito, who missed the game uh, with a knee injury in Detroit, um, whether he'll be able to return. Greg Dulcich, who um, you know is eligible now to come off IR, um, but had had a kind of a foot injury in practice last year that's or last week rather that swelled up and prevented him from being activated from IR and playing against the Lions. So will he be able to get back for the New England game and give them another um, you know target in the passing game? The other news is that Kareem Jackson, his four game suspension um, from the NFL for an accumulation of illegal hits. Uh, has ended. It was his second suspension of the season. He, he served a two-game suspension earlier in the year. Um, he's now back. The question will be, what will the Broncos do with him in terms of, of playing time? P.J. Locke has played really pretty well uh, in replacement of Jackson uh, for the last month of the season. Um, he struggled a little bit against the Lions, but I think that was that'd be fair to say uh, for Denver's entire defense. So um, the Broncos have a decision to make there. Uh, it, it's hard for me to see PJ Locke being pulled out the way that, that he is playing. Um, but we're going to have to wait and see on that. Um, that, that should do it for, for kind of these housekeeping items. So we're going to jump right in now to our conversation this week with Larry Holder of the athletic. All right. Welcome back. Thrilled to be joined. Our guest this week on not another bucking podcast is Larry Holder who covered Sean Payton and the Saints for a long time, both with us here at The Athletic and at the Times-Picayune there uh, in Louisiana. Uh, Larry is an esteemed editor and, and writer here at The Athletic um, as well, one of, our, one of my favorite colleagues. Great to have you, Larry. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. When you think back and you look at my bio on The Athletic, and it says, oh, you co- started covering him in 2006. Makes me feel kind of old. <laughs> I'm only 43, which means, uh, but still, wow. I, I covered him. Uh, yeah, it, it's funny. Like, I grew with Drew Brees because uh, he is a year. Uh, let's see, his birthday is January 15th. Mine is January 16th. So uh, he's like oh, wow. a year and a day older than me. So D- Drew and I grew up different different obviously relationships uh drew Brees and i with sean payton yeah well but it obviously means you you have you have been there for the the totality of of his career there you were a young reporter uh there there in 2006 saw saw that um all the way through um and now have been kind of watching it from afar in a different role with the athletic but i i'm just curious given your given your context and there's a couple things i want to get to on this but just given your context of of how sean payton operates having seen all of his sideline demeanor, you know, you and I have talked about and wrote about game day, Sean, and all, all this different um, thing where he has this just sort of different level of intensity in games. Um, but was that unique to what you've seen with Sean Payton in terms of that position going after it in that way? I can say I have never seen Sean Payton go after Drew Brees like that ever. And I feel like maybe Sean wouldn't have done that with Drew just because they are really super in sync. I mean, they, they, it's like they share a brain and work together for so long, even in the early years, like Sean wasn't doing that to drew. Now I will say that after drew, we I've certainly seen Sean maybe chirp at Jameis Winston, uh, you know, the year he coached with him uh, just because, you know, it, they're not on the same page, this, that, and the other. And I, I think it's, it's, it, it kind of goes with what we've been seeing even publicly, what Sean has said 
or not said about Russell Wilson. You know, he's been uh, probably more critical of him than uh, than most people ever have been uh, on their quarterback, and uh, well, at least a high profile quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and also, just uh, he's it's not exactly like he gives these overwhelming praise of Russell Wilson. So I think. Uh, Sean's excuse after the game when he's saying, oh, he's complaining about uh, the penalty or, or, or not, not the penalty or lack thereof. Yeah. Whatever it was yeah. uh, that I'm curious. I would like to have like red lips and actually saw what it was because, uh, you know, I feel like that just the way Sean has been even publicly, that there's probably some level of distrust with Russell Wilson, with the way he's played up and down and uh, maybe expecting more from him. Yeah. And it was just a weird situation because of the fact that, um, you know, that <laughs> that tongue lashing happened after the Broncos probably scored a touchdown on second down that uh, Sean chose not to challenge. And even on third down, it looked like they might have gotten in. He didn't challenge that call either. And then, you know, they they line up on fourth and goal from the one. They do rush it in for a for a call touchdown, but then get called for the offensive offsides. And you know, as reporters, we're trying to figure out, well, well, what was the what was the cause of that frustration with with Wilson? Um, you know, was it that there was something else earlier in the drive that he should have seen that should have been an easier touchdown? Was it the fact that maybe you needed to go quicker, um, you know, at, at the snap trying to get that? And it was it was very much just shut down to, hey, this was all associated with my frustration with the call. But I think you're right, Larry, like that, uh, that seemed to me like something that was more built up. Uh, over time, um, you know, the, the heat of the moment obviously played a big role in that, but like um, we have, we've seen some of this stuff build up in terms of, um, you know, early in the season, a couple fumbles that Russell Wilson had, um, you know, I, I think back to one against the Jets where Russell Wilson fumbles the ball late in the fourth quarter, the Jets pick it up running for a touchdown. And he's saying, you were supposed to identify that guy coming from the weak side was the hot, the hot blitzer. Um, and, and that's what we had identified pre-snap. So, it does seem to me like there is some of that, like, why aren't you thinking what I'm thinking in these moments? Yeah, I think the expectation level uh, for Sean with Russell is very similar to the expectation level he had with Drew because he's seen Russell. Russell Wilson's won Super Bowls, almost won a second one. Like, he's been uh, one, of, one of the better quarterbacks in the last dozen years uh, in the NFL. And so I think the expectation level for Sean, for Russell – is higher than for someone like he coached after Drew, say like Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. Like there's a higher expectation. And he also, he comes to Denver knowing the quarterback situation saying, all right, look, and it's, he said it, I don't know if it's exact quotes, but he knows he's had to quote unquote fix Russell. Yeah. And he's seeing things that maybe aren't fixed. And you know, look, Sean can be combustible on a game day, no matter what it could be. Be getting hosed on a on a uh, n no pass interference call, which I personally covered while I was with the athletic, to having the wrong bubble gum. I mean, that's that it could be one way or the other, uh, but it doesn't matter. You could get him; he's so wound tight, and yet I feel like that. And I'm I'm watching this from afar and just knowing Sean and knowing how his brain operates and what he says publicly and how he's probably feeling privately. That that moment. Uh, I think that that showed that there is certainly frustration with his quarterback. And uh, look, you probably know this, and uh, I feel this, that 
Sean is certainly going to outlast Russell in yeah. Denver. So if Russell can't get it done, he's going to look for the next quarterback. And, yeah. you know, I don't know where he is on thinking that as of right now, you know, going into the future in the next season. But there's no question that that is in his mind. Even when he took the job, I'm sure he's smart enough to know that is in his mind. And I think he's, you know, he's seen some good. He's seen some frustratingly bad. And also he sees potential that this season hasn't lost for Denver. Like they are, right. like they, they, you know, they're on a roll. All of a sudden they got the ball rolling. And so uh, to see it kind of uh, wilter away a little bit, uh, specifically in that moment, I, look, I know Sean and he's going to, he's going to lose it right, right then and there. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, and, and Adam Troutman, the, the tight end for, for the Broncos, who was with Sean a little bit in New Orleans, um, you know, he was sort of asked asked about that. And he kind of says that it's it's something that you're used to and that you understand playing for him, um, you know, the demanding nature of him as a coach and as a staff that you, you know, that you accept that. He said, you know, as, as players, that that's no big deal for us. I would imagine, though, that that not everybody feels that that same way, right? Like, did you see in your times, like, obviously he got after different guys in different situations where, you know, some, do some guys tend to, you know, kind of handle it and respond to it um, better than others? Were there players during your tenure in New Orleans where you felt like it kind of got to them in, in a certain way? Oh, absolutely. And look, I, I think for Adam in that locker room, there's only so many people – even on the staff or in the locker room that know what Sean Payton brings, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's on practice day and a game day. And look, we've seen over the years, players have gotten into Sean's doghouse and they've traded them and they, they've cut them and they've, they've bitten salary to do it. Like, so it, it's, yeah, it's not even just in the moment in a game. I mean, it's long-term play. If you get into a doghouse, uh, look, I, I could tell you, like a player like Junior Gallette, he was coming off of double-digit sack seasons, two in a row, and Sean was just fed up. And he's uh, he says, "I basically, I don't care how much money it's going to cost us. We're getting rid of this guy. He's not he's not good for us." And I feel like probably early on in this season, when you saw guys like Frank Clark and Randy Gregory, two veteran guys, you're expecting, all right, you need to have these pieces on defense. And Sean cut ties with him. I, I was like, that is totally something Sean would do. He's like, it's not working. I don't care. We're getting rid of these guys. And look, it did from the outside looking in, I mean, you have a better sense of it. It seemed like the results, it helped. Like, I feel like you started seeing the right pieces. Uh, maybe it cost you with some experience, but still, yeah, I, I think that it takes certain players with, with kind of some certain, uh, you know, fortitude to play for Sean because, uh, you know, th there will be hard times. There will be really good times where Sean is very relatable to players, but he's very demanding. And I mean, that's, and, and I think players ultimately, when you're winning, you appreciate it when you're not and struggling and up and down, it can kind of get a little testy. Yeah. That, I was just going to, as you were, as you were kind of laying that out, I was just thinking of Randy Gregory and Frank Clark and, and obviously the, you know, the public explanation that that both of those kind of cuts or I guess it was it was a late trade in Randy Gregory's case he, he was going to be cut um was we're trying to get these young younger pass rushers who have shown some you know shown some good flashes both in training camp and early in the season we need to get them more playing time and I think to a degree that that's true but I I think there very clearly was a hey this is four weeks in you're not giving me what I want I'm, I'm setting a pretty clear expectation as to to what's gonna what's gonna fly here and what's not and and you're right I mean they they ate salary in, in order to get rid of um 
you know, Randy Gregory, they had signed Frank Clark to a $5 million deal, uh, you know, just a couple months earlier and said, nope, uh, we're, we're moving on from that too. And that's what makes me think with this. It's interesting. You have that perspective about, you know, moving on from guys uh, irrespective of, of the money. And that's going to be the big question about Russell Wilson is if, if he's on this roster on the fifth day of the, the 2024 league year, his 35, $37 million for 2025, becomes guaranteed. So, um, you know, it, it's an interesting thing if, if he's saying, I, I definitely don't see him as the quarterback in 2025, then, then maybe why are we, why are we doubling down on that commitment? Let's rip this bandaid now. Um, to me, it's going to, these last three games are, are, are critical in terms of, uh, I don't think a decision has been made yet, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if these, these final three games and where Denver up plays a big role in Russell Wilson's future. Well, probably what also plays a role is like, where do you turn next? And I think that's is equally as important because if you don't have anybody better, like do they, how much does Sean love Jared Stidham? And where's the draft capital? If you're going to go get it, you spent it. So, you know, if, if you want to go get a top quarterback, how do you do it? And Sean always likes to say, well, you could get draft picks back. Like he's done, he's talked about that. Like they trust me, the Saints have been willing over the years to wheel and deal and and use draft picks and figure, oh, they're going to get them back. And so maybe Sean might be thinking that in a sense, but I don't I don't see how like Denver could even package to get way high in the draft if they loved some of these quarterbacks coming out. So I think that certainly has to play a role in it. And yet, like you said, the money huge. Uh, who's next is, is even yeah. bigger. And like, do you go and take a gamble on a free agency like? Tampa, I feel like they they had the they played it safe and didn't spend much. And Baker Mayfield's been very good. I can tell you, New Orleans, there aren't people who are really happy with the Saints actually spending and going to get Derek Carr. So they feel like they're kind of in the same boat that Sean is with right. Russell Wilson. So right. uh, you know, so it's like, where do you go from there? I, I'm trust me, I'm I've been watching this and your coverage all season long and just trying to read between the tea leaves and, and really fascinated with what's going on. And this is going to be one of the bigger questions going into the offseason, especially if Russell uh, kind of falters toward the end. Yeah. And you, you've, you've mentioned that, that he sort of, he sort of has stumbled over these last three weeks. You do this, you know, this great piece every week um, where you, you rank quarterbacks by in terms of EPA, which is expected points added that the true media metric that takes into account various factors to gauge quarterbacks. And I want to just ask you, you're, you're working with that. Russell Wilson right now is ranked 22nd in the league in EPA. You know, going into this year, I, I thought that he, the goal for him needed to be to around top 15 in that category, has been a little bit below that this year, but he's he's eighth in passer rating. Maybe for people who don't fully understand, why 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 is there the the, the gap there? What, what maybe does Russell Wilson excelling that gets him enough in the passer rating category, but, but not, not so much in, in terms of EPA. A lot of it comes with empty yards, like empty touchdowns. Like say mm-hmm. when the Broncos are, are, are getting beat handily and he's throwing the ball and look, he might add a, at a garbage time touchdown or two. I mean, specifically like in when they lost 70 to 20, I mean, his passer rating wasn't terrible yeah uh, and he was getting scores at the end so that helps your rating like epa takes into account like time of the game uh you know clutch plays like third down conversions that sort of thing and yeah russell has been kind of the poster child for uh, having kind of an inflated passer rating and his epa is not 
good enough. Like it, it's a basically like a middle of the pack 500 type of quarterback. And that's kind of the results of what it's had. And look, I, I'm sure Sean sees the numbers. Like I, I'm sure he knows like, all right, wait a minute, this passer rating. Uh, and then you look at the EPA and it kind of, it kind of paints a better story uh, of that. And, you know, so it's, it's definitely, he, you know, I, I feel like at times I've been hard on, on Russ because it's like, well, what about his pass rating? Like, no, look at, this is more of a better yeah. gauge. And that's why I put the both numbers there. Cause you could, it could be a, a real variance, just like Jalen hurts this past week, his pass rating was like 40, but his EPA was high because he, he's, he took advantage of like not designed runs. So like, and Russ kind of may, may, you know, that, that plays into it as well, but yeah, it, it's a lot of it is just inflated yardage when the game's out of hand and not being clutch in clutch situations, turning the ball over. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's in, and Russ obviously really struggled with that last year. I mean, so you throw that out the window, but it hasn't gotten any better, right. uh, really. So I think that's – and I would – and you would agree, the offensive line has gotten better, and you would have thought maybe this would have been better. And, you know, at times it has been. Yeah. But even during the win streak, his EPA was solid. Not great, but solid. And his passer rating was a little higher. So, again, there was still a little bit of that disconnect there. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that it reminds me there was – um it was a few weeks ago after one of the wins during the streak. And at the time, uh, you know, a reporter brought up to Sean how how well Russell Wilson was playing in the red zone because you looked by the numbers. I think he had 17 touchdowns and, and no interceptions and his passer rating was like 112 or something like that. And he, Sean essentially said, I got to stop you right here. Like, I'm not giving anybody flowers for for red zone performance when as a team we are doing we are doing poorly. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the numbers um, for Russell Wilson, sometimes that was quantity of red zone visits because they were they were creating so many turnovers they were getting really advantageous field position that they're you know Sean's thing was like we're in the red zone all the damn time but we're we're still averaging 23 points a game so like I'm not gonna sit here and like praise somebody he's thrown 17 touchdowns because we've been down there a lot and they don't really run it down there like that's they just they more or less just pass in the red zone and so it was just it was one of those things where it's just like to your point like I'm not worried necessarily about what these like raw raw numbers say. I, I'm I'm more interested in, in knowing how the how efficient the offense feels or or oftentimes doesn't feel. Um, and that that seems to be to me like he can he can stomach a few things, but but not having the things done he wants to have done on offense that seems to be just again. I've only been with him now covering the season, but that just seems to be where his you know kind of his his tender point is in, in terms of like the frustration. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he views himself as one of the greatest offensive minds in the game and uh, they're, they're not putting up the production. It it might look pretty in some of the stats, but yeah, he knows they're not producing at what they should be, at least in his eyes should be doing. And so, yeah, there's no question that it's eating at him and you could see like case in point, this past game, you saw it. And I'm sure behind closed doors and maybe in practices, uh, you know, when media is not in there, uh, maybe he's doing that. And he's a little calmer in practice in the week. You know, he's really wound tight on game days. But I'm sure in meeting rooms, he's just seeing it. And he's just, you know, he's pulling out his hair. I, I know it because he just he, he wants this thing to click a rhythm. And Drew was the ultimate rhythm guy, like 
quintessential, like one of the best rhythm guys in the history of the game. Yeah. And Russell's just not that. And he's this guy, you know, you see him. It, I, I watch him and I'm, I think, man, why do receivers run routes half the time if, if Russell's going to run around in circles? And, you know, it's hard to be a rhythm passer when you're not willing to do it. And yeah. so I think that's that's something that – and really kind of surprised me even when Sean took this job. Like, you, you know what Russ is. I mean, so he's not that – Drew Brees, like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, step throw, even like Joe Burrow, like, you know, rhythm guys, Tua, they become rhythm guys. And Russ right. is not that. And so I was always wondering how that relationship was going to work within that scheme. And Sean likes to think, hey, look, I can coach any kind of quarterback. He even goes back to talking about when he coached Quincy Carter, like I'm coaching Quincy Carter different with Dallas than I, when I did with, with Sean uh, with, with Drew uh, it, yeah. with the Saints, but still, ultimately, he wants rhythm, 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 and Russ can easily get out of rhythm. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's it's some of Russ's, you know, best work is done when when he's outside of that framework. Uh, you know, they they had this drive against the Chargers that they they put the game away. It was like a thirteen play drive, but you know, two or three of the plays was Russ, you know, Russ spinning out, um, you know, kind of making making these plays happen, and it's just like. He's still unique in that way. Like there's, you know, there, there's not a ton of quarterbacks that, that can do that. Um, but it, yeah, it just gets outside of, of, of what you're doing. And so I think there's kind of that constant, you know, kind of constant tug and pull. And, you know, I give Russell Wilson credit because he has largely done what Sean ha has asked him to do. I, I think he's really given himself to, to the scheme, to the coaching, all those kind of things, um, you know, just sort of to be the brunt of, you know, when a lot of things were going wrong, Saturday night kind of became, you know, the, the poster child for the, you know, for the frustration of a, of a coach who, um, you know, was not happy with the performance that they put out there. So, I mean, Russ well, didn't play defense. So, I mean, hey, come on. <laughs> you know, he wasn't responsible for covering the, you know, covering Sam Laporta or, you know, Jameer right. Gibbs or anything like that. So, no, right. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I'm like you, Larry. I'm going to be, I'm going to be really eager to see how this goes the next three weeks. And um, that'll roll into a, and do a huge quarterback decision. I mean, everybody asks me like, you know, what are they going to do? How's it going to work? And I, I, I don't think it's, I think it'd be disingenuous to, for anybody to say like, we know the answer. I, I think that there's a lot of things to consider. Um, but to your point, I, I think ultimately if it comes down to Sean Payton going to the ownership and saying like, listen, I need something else here. I, I think I could maybe make Jared Stidham that guy. They gave him a two-year deal. He, he talked about how he thinks he has starter, you know, starter trajectory. Um, you know, and then maybe we draft a quarterback later in the first round to develop or the second round, whatever the case might be, um, you know, that, that that's ultimately the decision will land with Sean Payton. Yeah. And just to show you just when they signed Stidham, I mean, it was at the onset of free agency. Like, so they obviously targeted him. Sean liked him. They went and got him. I mean, so that's, it wasn't one of these, oh, let's sign him in May. You yeah. know, we're not, no, they signed him immediately. So I think that shows that there's something there. Uh, so, but yeah, and look, I, I do think that Russ, uh, kind of, I, I feel like he's improved in some aspects, but then falls back into some, you know, some old habits and such. So yeah, you know, I think ultimately Sean does not see the way Russ plays as just a, a consistent way to be successful on offense. And I mean, yeah. I thought that from the beginning and I think he's seeing it right in front of his face. He obviously had to give it one year to see what's going on. But yeah, you know, it, there's no, and even when 
I'll just put it to you this way. Sean has always been look, looked at quarterbacks all the time. And even when, uh, and this is, both guys have openly talked about this. When Patrick Mahomes was on the board and the pick was coming up and they were like a pick or two away and, and Drew Brees is in the building with his buddy. Uh, hey, let's go look at the draft war room. And Sean had to pull Drew aside and say, look, if Mahomes is there, we're going to take him. And Drew was not happy. Uh, for for Drew's sake, the Chiefs picked him right, picked uh, Mahomes right before the Saints picked, and then they took Marshawn Lattimore. Obviously not a bad situation for either team. But still, look, Sean's always looking. So there's no question, 0.0%, no question, that Sean is looking at quarterbacks far and wide uh, just if he's not satisfied with Russell. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, these three weeks will say a lot. Larry, I know you'll be watching. Uh, keep up the great work with your EPA series and everything else um, at The Athletic Man. Uh, like I said, one of my favorites. Thanks for thanks for joining us on Not Another Bucking Podcast today. You got it, Nick. And I'm sure my, this won't be my last appearance if things get blown up. And it's like, Larry, talk me through this. And, I, yeah. and I'll, I'll try to do it for you and, and all the Broncos fans out there. We're going to need we're going to need your, your your translation. So, yeah, come back for that. We thank you guys all for for listening today. Um, please feel free to subscribe. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. Um, we'll be back here uh, Christmas Eve night after the Broncos host the uh, host the New England Patriots there at Empower Field. Uh, until then, thanks for stopping by.